Hello. Welcome to New Life, the church at Perrigan. You know, there's all kinds of, of messages that, that somebody can give. A couple weeks ago, we talked about David at Nob, and we saw between he and Saul, we've we, we seen a lot of things. We saw things that go on in your mind and your thought process and how to try to rid those things like envy and jealousy and fear out of, out of your thoughts. Last week, we took a look at Jesus and we took a look at the feeding of the 5,000 and how that he was able to take five little barley loaves and two small fish and how that he was able to feed a multitude. And we saw that John said that these were written so that we might believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in his name, you might have life through his name. Today, we'll look at a little bit different type of thing. I'm going to try to show you something that is uh, concealed in Scripture. It's one of my favorite types of lessons to do. And I got a brain teaser for you this morning as we get ready to get started. Um, I'll give you three clues as to what my favorite type of a lesson is. First clue, it's mentioned 12 times, or it's taught 12 times in one book of the Bible. Not only that, seven different people gave this lesson. And it's hardly ever taught today. Do you have any idea what it is? It's Jesus as the Messiah taught entirely from the Old Testament scriptures. That's one of my favorite things. I love the Old Testament, and I love the things that are in it. Paul told us, because that was in the book of Acts, that it was mentioned 12 times, and you had Peter and Philip and Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and all of these people who taught Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. Why? Look here what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I passed on to you what was of first importance, what I've received, how that Christ died for our sins according to what? The scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's not the New Testament, because Paul is writing the New Testament right now. When they were going through Acts, and when Peter stood up and chapter 2 and he told the people that this same Jesus that you crucified is both the Lord and Christ and they were pricked in their hearts and they said men and brethren what shall we do and he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and this is a promise to you and to those who are far off even as many as our Lord our God shall call he was teaching them from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus died, was buried, and was appointed this because he was the Messiah. Now I want to share with you a scripture that I've come to love. This is one of the scriptures that I take as a promise of God, and that in that promise of God, it drives me to study hard and try to uncover things. Because Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2 says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter or to conceal a thing and it's the honor of kings to search out the matter now the only thing that I've ever studied in higher education I didn't go to college but three years ago when I thought that I wanted to really try to teach 
people God's word, I was led to the thought that you need to know the original language of how it was God breathed to teach. And the Hebrew language is beautiful. And the word devar there that's underneath of that is the word for word, matter, or thing. And you can see that thing and matter is right there in that. And that's the word devar. So in other words, what the writer is saying, that it's the glory of God to conceal things within his word. And it's the honor of kings, and that's you and I, because he's made us a kingdom of priests. He's made us kings and priests unto him. And it's the honor of kings to search out the word to see what's been concealed. So today, that's our challenge. We're going to look at a section of scripture today that you would think in no way talks about Jesus Christ. But then we're going to uncover that and reveal that. Uh, Go to our next slide there. So let me introduce you to the Hebrew Aleph Bet. Now the Aleph Bet is where we get our alphabet. And you can see that there's 22 consonants there. Now those that are the top line in yellow is the modern day rendering of those uh, letters. The middle in the black was what they called the Paleo-Hebrew. That was what was in the time of Moses and Abraham of what you had seen. That's how they would write the word of God. And what I want you to see today is how majestic God is. How intelligent God is. That We talk about intelligent design in this world to try to teach people that there is a God. He said in Romans chapter 1 that the things that are on this earth declares the glory of God so that there's no way that you can deny his existence. I want you to see that that same design is in every letter of the Aleph Bet. That same intelligence. This was created before the earth was because it was with words that God spoke creation into existence. It was these things right here. Some of them are universal from 6,000 years ago. If you look on the top line, the fifth one over from the right, it's the letter Hey. It looks like a guy standing there with his arms up. You can go anywhere in the world and go, Hey, Hey, and people know what you're saying. You can go to China. You can go to India. I'm sure that if we asked him next week, he'll say, Yeah, uh, that's kind of a known thing. That's part of God's intelligent design. Hey means to reveal something. You're saying, behold, look, I've got something to say. I've got something to reveal. We're only going to look at one letter, and I want you all to relax. I'm not going to give a test at the end of this, okay? <laughs> There's no test involved. Um, I took a bunch of those. I don't want you to have to go through that. But I want to just look at one letter today for a moment to explain this so that you'll see the majesty of God and his thought process as he goes through it. That first letter up there on the right hand, see Hebrew is read from right to left where we go left to right. Here's a point of fact for all of those who like little points of fact. From Jerusalem all languages flow. The uh, Where we are at Everybody on this side of Jerusalem reads from left to right. Everybody on the eastern side reads from right to left. 
So all of the languages flow to Jerusalem. But what does that first letter, the Aleph, look like to you? Anyone, can you tell me? Bullhead, okay. That's what it is. It's, it's actually an ox, but really they're really close. So it's an ox head. Have you ever heard the saying, boy, he's as strong as an ox? Because that's what this word means. This letter of the alphabet means to be strong. It talks about being strong. It's a word for a leader. And it's a word for the head. So every word that has the Aleph at the beginning of it is a strength word. It's a word that God has put into your vocabulary and into being for strength for you in this life. Let's explore a couple of those with the thought that the Aleph is the head or the strength, and he's the ox, okay? Let's take that and let's go with the Lamed, second row all the way to the left. Looks like a J. Actually what it is, it's a shepherd's crook. So if you turned it right side up, you could walk with it as a cane, but the shepherd would take this and all the little woolies that would be running around in the pasture, they'll get out there and stuck in a briar, and he'll have to go and wrap that around his little neck and pull him out to safety. If he's starting to wander astray, he'll tap his nose and correct him. The shepherd's crook is for also a, a revealing, a, an insight. It's authority. The shepherd is the one who has the authority with that to guide and to lead and to teach. And that's what it is. It's the authoritative teacher and guide. So if we put something that's either strong or the head of something with authority and the teacher or the shepherd, what do you think that might be? That's God. Because there would be a little vowel point here for an E, so the Aleph is a silent letter and is dictated the sound by the vowel point. And this is the Lamed or the L. And so you have L, which is God. So think about God. You've probably heard of El Shaddai in some songs or Elohim, which is the plural for God. The I am on the end is plural. So now, what is God? He is the strong authority in your life. He is your head shepherd in life. And so the intrinsic value of the letters that forms the words, God has put that much thought and design into that. Let's take another word. Let's, let's use this same strength letter. And let's go with the second one up there, the bait that's right next to the olive, top right second one. That one is a little tricky. That is the overhead look of a tent. If you were looking down on the tent, this would be the entrance of the tent, and then activities would take place here, and back here is where the bedroom would be secluded. And so what you have then with the olive and the bait as a word pronounced as av, you have a strong and a tent is home or house. So who is 
the strong or the head of the house. The father. Av means father. Paul says in Galatians 4 that we now call God our father. We say Ava father. So the intrinsic value that God has put into his language shows us that the head of the house is the father. And men, that is your God-given role and responsibility in the home. By the intrinsic value even of the word father. God is our father. He is our example. He is our role model. And he is to be the leader of the house. And he has given us the, he, he's giving us part of that responsibility with him. You follow me and have your home follow you. And that is built in to this word. Let's do one more strong word. I promised you this one. One more strong word with that olive. It's the kit. So if you would go to second row, second one down, right below the bet. Kind of looks like that. But, well, they drew it the opposite way. But There's several different ways, but that is a fence. A fence. And it's the letter that makes the C-H sound. The <sighs> so when you hear people in, in those... Um, Western places going, <laughs> that's the ket sound in their language. So you have the A with the CH, and you have a word called ak. Ak is a strong fence. A fence is a protector. It's a barrier. It forms, if you put them all together, it forms a corral, a circle, a walled city, a place of protection. The word ak is brother. So your brother is supposed to be to you a strong fence. Now, in the house, they may fight like cats and dogs. But you let someone go to school and pick on your little brother and sister, and what happens? You've invited you too, right? Because you're going to take up for them, and you're going to protect that. That's built into the word brother from the intrinsic value of the letters that God designed and created in this alphabet before he even created the earth. The brother is the strong protector. The life groups on Wednesday nights are designed for you to meet your brothers and sisters in Christ. You form a bond and when your fences grow together, the congregation becomes a walled city of strength where it's a protection, where you are protected and you are cared for because your brothers and sisters in Christ have built a wall of protection around you. Now I'm going to take this olive in a little different direction because these were some strong words. Here's another one. That's the shin, bottom, second from the right. It's kind of hard to tell here, and they write it several, several different ways. Some of them write it like that. Some of it write it, it came to be a W. But that shin stands for teeth. Teeth. Wow, what could be strong teeth, you're saying? Because with the Aleph, it's the word esh. And esh means strong teeth. 
fire is what esh is fire think about it fire has strong teeth i can start with a matchstick and put it in a corner of something even in a forest and the teeth of that fire will burn it down the teeth are to consume and destroy so strong teeth is something that chews and destroys and consumes and that's what fire does now here's where we get a little crazy we'll put this over here that this is esh and fire and i want to put you two more words that are kind of related with fire but now we're going to three letters we're going to go with this strong olive we're going to go with that yod that's um, second row in the middle it looks like that and then the shin and then i'm going to go with that olive head again with the shin and then i'm going to put the hay Okay. Now, you see that this word and this word has these two letters in it with one added. Okay, this is ish, almost like esh. It's got a I sound from this yod. This is isha. This is man, and this is woman. And it also stands for husband and wife. Husband and wife both have properties of fire within them. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you here, I, I figured to get a few amens during this part, okay? Because we've got fire built with inside of us. But, you know, in Genesis, God brought Eve to Adam and said, For this cause... Shall a man leave father and mother and cling to his wife? And they twain shall become one flesh. What do you think combines them in one flesh? It's not fire. Fire does not do that. But when you take the yod that's in the man and you combine it with the hay that's in the woman, you get the word yah. Yah, Yah is a word for God. We sung a song here a little bit ago where we sang hallelujah. The Yah is God. Halle is praise you or blessed be God, praise to God. So isn't it amazing that when God said, I am going to take man and woman and I'm going to name them Ish and Isha, and when I form them together, I'm in the middle of them. There's really three of you in that marriage. But I'm going to tell you something. God joins that together, and if God is in the center and allowed to join that together, it will be what it's designed to be for you. But let's look what happens if you remove God from that marriage. What do you have? Fire and fire. Amen. If God is not in the middle of the marriage, sometimes you can have fire. 
What does fire try to do? Destroy, consume. So a truth about the way God has designed not only marriage and man and woman, but every single intrinsic value of his Olivet, there is value and thought and planning. And I want you to see that God is greater and bigger and better than you ever thought that God could be able to do. So now, we could spend three lifetimes and never begin to touch or scratch the surface of all of the knowledge of things like that that is within God's word. But now that we've presented this part of the base, I want to go to another difficulty, which is translation versus transliteration. Okay, a translation is telling what something means. And a transliteration is just bringing something over the way it was spelled. The only language that's even remotely like um, the Hebrew is a chemical language. And if I was to write H2O, do you know what that is? Water. Water is the translation. The transliteration is what it is made of. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. That's the transliteration of it. The translation is water. So when you start getting into the Bible, most of the words are translated. Fire is translated. They don't bring it over as esh. They bring it over as fire. Man isn't ish. It's man. Okay. But a lot of the proper names are just brought over. Let's take a couple so that we we can see. Bethel. We've got a town in Indiana called Bethel. I take Bethel Road to go to the prison in Plainfield. It's between Martinsville and Mooresville, right there by the little car lot and Pose. There's Bethel Road and Bethel Church Road there. That is a transliteration because it's made up of two words. We said that the bath or that first letter of the alphabet meant house or home. And we said that L meant God. So Beth L is the house of God, if you would translate that. That's the transliteration, that's the translation. Beth Lahem. Beth is house. Lahem is the word that that H E M is really the ket. So in Hebrew, it would be Bethlehem. But we say, ah, it's too hard to say. Let's call it Bethlehem. Lechem is bread. So Bethlehem, when you translate it, is the house of bread. Isn't it amazing that our Savior, the bread of life that we talked about last week, was born in the house of bread? Give you one last example before we move on to our text this morning. And that's Emmanuel on our next slide. Yes, uh, she was already way ahead of me. Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 says that you will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is or translated is God with us. There's that L at the end of the word, Emmanuel, God. The other part is with us. John chapter 1 affirms this when it says 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And that's what happened here. He said, You are with child, it is going to be God with us. You are by child of the Holy Spirit, and He shall be God with us, and He shall tabernacle with us. Emmanuel is the transliteration. God with us is the translation. So with all of this background, I want to get to the uncovering of the stuff that we talked about. If you brought your sword with you today, your Bible, turn it to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5. We're going to take a look at one of the most beautiful gospel messages from the Old Testament scriptures. This is an exhilarating portion of scripture if you're with me there we're going to read the whole chapter this is the book of the generations of adam in the day that god created man in the likeness of god made he him male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name adam in the day in which they were created and adam lived 130 years and beget a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth and the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he beget sons and daughters and all the days of Adam that he lived were 930 years and he died Seth lived 105 years and beget Enosh Seth lived after he begat Enosh 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Now Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and he begat Yared. And Mahalalel lived after he begat Yared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Now Yared lived 162 years and begat Enoch. And Yared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Yared were 960 and two years and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Well, that's different. And he, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and 2 years. And begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. Lamech lived 180 and 2 years and begat his son. And he called his son Noah, saying, 
This same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Lamech lived after he begat Noah 500 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years and he died. Now Noah was 500 years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Wow, did you see it? In that chapter, did you see the great gospel message presented of Jesus Christ? I can see two or three people dialing the phone for 911. This guy's off his rocker. I think he just went overboard. No. But remember, we started this thing out saying that in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, that God sometimes covers up some things he conceals it within his word and it's an honor for us to be able to try to uncover that well that's what we're going to try to do here real quickly we're going to try to uncover this Methuselah we're going to take him for an example what do we know about Methuselah yeah we know that from what the Bible described he was the longest lived person 969 years his father was Enoch and that was, he gave a first prophecy we're going to find out. But one of the things that we're going to see is that uh, it said Enoch walked with God. And it says that twice, and that was so different. And there's a reason for that, and we're going to look at it. But you know, Methuselah, we talked about that translation versus the transliteration. Methuselah is a compound word made up of meth and shellac. Meth is the Hebrew word from a root, the root word of death which is muth, which is to die or death. And I want to tell you something. There's an epidemic in this country, and it's called meth. And all meth is is death. But 6,000 years ago, God said the root word for death is meth. See how brilliant God is? I'm getting cold chills up here. I don't know about you guys. And then shellac. So if you put that together, when Enoch named Methuselah, it was actually saying, if you translated it, his death is going to bring something. Well, what's his death going to bring? Well, I think that it's going to bring about the flood that's going to be the judgment. Because we're going to do some Bible math here. You guys have heard about new math. Well, let's do some biblical math. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 6, it says that the flood waters came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah. So we're going to use that as the base. The flood came at the 600th year. Now, Methuselah is the grandfather to Noah. And from the moment he was born and Enoch started walking with God, why do you think he started walking with God? He got a message that there's going to be a judgment coming when this son dies that's going to destroy the entire planet and all breath of life except for those who will uh, abide in my word and believe on me basically and we'll, we know from further reading that that's Noah and the eight souls that were saved by water as is described in in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8 and also in in first Peter as well where it says that few that is eight souls were saved by water whereunto the like figure of baptism doth now also save us so there's kind of a uh, simile going on right there 
But anyway, those floodwaters came, and Enoch, when he heard about this and was revealed what the death of his son would bring, he started walking with God from that moment on. He, I don't know if he knew when he would die or not, but that changed his life. Methuselah then, or his death shall bring, when he had Lamech, we're told in verse 25 that he was 187 years old. And then Lamech, who is the father of Noah, said that he had Noah when he was 182 in verse 28. And when we put that together, that's 369 years from the birth of Methuselah to the birth of Noah. And then if the floodwaters came in the 600 year of Noah, that's 969 years. And that's exactly when Methuselah died. And so his, his death brought something. It brought the flood. And that was the first prophecy of, of Enoch as well by a man. God gave the first prophecy to the woman in Genesis 3. Here's the first prophecy given by a man. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for that as well. I want to take Jude's word for it. Jude is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was the brother of our Lord. And when he wrote in verse 14 and 15 of his one chapter letter, he said, Enoch also, who was the seventh from Adam, prophesied of this thing, saying, Behold, the Lord is going to come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon who? All. The death of my son is going to bring judgment upon all. We're going to try to convince all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. So it was revealed to Jude to tell us that this is exactly what happened then, that that prophecy he made by naming his son was going to bring about a catastrophic judgment upon all. Now, to reveal the gospel message in Genesis 5. We're not going to take this long with all of the rest of the names. There's ten of them. But what I want to do is just for us to take a look quickly at those ten names and how that Adam means mankind. And if you have a different translation than the King James Version, it probably says in verse 2 and 3 there that in the day that he created mankind. Adam is also the word for man or mankind. Seth means appointed. If you look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, it's explained there that that's what it means because it says in that verse that Adam knew his wife and she begat a son and she called his name Seth for she said, God hath appointed me another seed to replace Abel whom Cain slew. So Seth is the appointed one of whom the lineage of Jesus Christ would now flow because of the death of Abel. Enosh means mortality. And boy, how that rings throughout the Bible. Genesis 3, they ate of the fruit. In the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Hebrews said, now it's appointed unto man, appointed, Seth, unto man, Adam, once to die, mortality. Mortality set in among us at that point. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. El is that word for God. And we already talked about hallelujah, which was to praise or the blessed God. 
Yared means to descend, to come down. That's what his name translated means. Enoch means to commence something, to commence teaching. We saw in depth that Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech is kind of translated into our language as well because we have the book of Lamentations. And to lament is Lamech, which is despairing, hopelessness. And then Noah means comfort or rest. And if you look there in uh, Genesis 5 and verse 29 of the text that we read, it says that Lamech named him Noah, saying that this one shall bring comfort from the curse that it was given to the land. So Noah means comfort or rest. And when you put all of these together, it means mankind is appointed to mortality and sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down, teaching us that his death is going to bring to the despairing comfort or rest. Think about that. The gospel in Genesis chapter 5. But you see, God, in a way, put it out there, but man concealed it because he wanted to make it easy on us and transliterate those names over instead of translating them into what it actually means. But it's a glory of God for things to be there in his word, and it's an honor for you and I to dig and to uncover and to search for those truths. And when you find a nugget of truth, then you say, how great is my God. How great is a God that even the words that were created before the earth were used to speak them into existence. And every letter and every word has intrinsic value and meaning. Let's think about that as we pray. Father, we thank you for your holy and divine word. And we thank you for the gospel message that was hidden and that you've revealed to us in Genesis chapter 5, how that you knew that man would sin and that man would be appointed to mortality, death, sorrow, and a hopelessness. But you provided a way for us. You chose that your son, the blessed God, would come down and he would descend and he would teach us that he would give us his words and his life to show us that his death is going to provide for us hope and comfort and rest if we will only believe upon him. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.